0: Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to launch into a new series for probably the rest of the summer called Summer on the Mount. I want to preach a message. It's going to be at least two part, this first message. Uh, I wanted to just very simply call it God bless you. Um, Actually, I wanted to call it something else, but our staff wanted to call it God bless you. So God bless you. Here we are together. Um, You ever felt like undue pressure to say, God bless you, to someone? I I think that we should. You know, like if you're in a crowded room or maybe a tight space or airplane, and someone sneezes, and for whatever reason, they decided to turn your direction when they sneeze. Church, I want to help you. If you sneeze, this is the proper way to sneeze. It's not at someone that you should sneeze. And then all of a sudden, even with their spit on your arm, you feel this need. God bless you. And you always want to say, God bless you. You never just want to say, bless you. Because, you know, like, you never know what they might say back to you or who they may think you're coming to them in. And I I really think, like, not to, like, over-spiritualize everything or, you know, like whenever, whenever somebody says uh, "Happy Holidays," you're like "Merry Christmas." You know, that's, don't do that. Like that's why people don't like us. <laughs> if they say you're, uh, "Have a great day," I actually, I still believe that the power of life and death lies in this tongue, and and so I actually, I like to humbly, not spiritually arrogant but humbly pronounce a blessing over people. I I grab my babies all the time. My bride, before she goes on a trip, the teller at the gas station, hey, God bless you, thank you. I think that's something we need to reinstate as the people of God, that we would pronounce blessing over people and not just fussing and cussing at everybody. Come on, all you Cajuns, can't control your tongues. I was trying to... I was trying to pack like nine Beatitudes into, uh, I'm sorry, I just, I thought, I, Pastor, I just don't know how to quit cussing. Well, why don't you start blessing? Come on, how about that? Instead of, just start blessing and you'll quit cussing. All right, anyways, I, I was, that didn't, wasn't even any other service or my notes. I was trying to pack nine Beatitudes into two weeks, which as you have seen, it's not happening. Like, there's no way that I can do that. So we're just going to settle in. I mean, it's summer, right? Like, what's the rush? My kids are home. I can't get nothing done anyways. Like, My grass won't stop growing. I'm telling you, my grass is on crack, y'all. It just, it don't stop. Like, I mow it. I look outside. It needs to be done again. I don't know what's going on, what's under the ground, but it's summer, and so we're just going to settle in. Um, it's almost my birthday. I'm, I'm almost as old as my wife. Come on, somebody. It's, I won't tell you what our daughter said yesterday because I want to sleep in my bed tonight. There's a, there's a couple of things that I notice about Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. One of those things is, that's three chapters, y'all. But it's one sermon. And Jesus didn't care what their attention span was. Or whether they needed to use the restroom or not. Or what they did or did not eat for breakfast. How hungry they were. He preached for three chapters. Now... This is one of those times I am not going to try to be like Jesus. You are welcome. But one of the things that I did recognize in this sermon on the mount that is three chapters is uh, Jesus went over 35 minutes at times. The more important thing that I noticed is the disciples didn't just gather around him. The disciples took notes. In fact, if the disciples would not have taken notes, then we would not be reading this sermon. We would not be able to study this message. They would have done what we do, which is listen, be really impressed, walk out, and forget what he said. We would have done what they do. (laughs) Disciples take notes. Beatitudes, and and I'm sure somebody said this before. We just like the alliteration of it. The Beatitudes are the attitudes that I should be. And if I'm not, then I shouldn't be okay with it. And I I don't mean beating myself up and, you know, being stricken with guilt and shame all the time. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I, I mean being inspired through my relationship with Jesus to understand that these are not recommendations for Christian living. They are requirements for a follower of Christ. Because I love what Micah said this past Wednesday. I, I'm not just going I'm not, to, I'm not a Christian. I'm not just going to be a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. That's who I am. And the B attitudes are attitudes, let me say it this way, that I should not be okay with not being. The B attitudes. Let's read the first three, even though I'm only going to get to two. I wrote them ambitiously. Uh, and then I, I wrote my message and I thought, well, we're only getting to two of those this week. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. It's always important that you come to Jesus. Jesus has done his part. It's our turn. We have to come to him. We should gather in his name. We should gather around in his name. You can take vacation, just take vacation with Jesus. You could take vacation, just take vacation and remember that you don't vacate from being the church no matter where you are. Seeing the crowds, he went up, he sat down and the disciples came to him. That was part of who they were. Verse 2. And then he opened his mouth. Which which is part of Christian living as well. Well, just live it with your actions and they'll know. No, no, no. Oh, yes. Right? But you can't just assume that people know why you're living the way that you live. Yeah, live the gospel out loud. And then use your mouth to explain why. He opened his mouth and he taught them saying verse 3 blessed are the poor in spirit and i don't know why we say blessed right there cuz every other time i just say bless but for some reason when it's it's this one we know this one english standard version new king james king james whatever the way that we memorized it or heard it it's always been blessed right are mm-hmm. the i bought a t-shirt a couple of years ago I, I told Ed, I said, hey, Ed, look, I bought a t-shirt. It's got your name on it. It says, bless Ed. <laughs> it just says, blessed. I don't know why we do. Anyways, blessed are the poor squirrel in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to come back to it. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. These are, these are promises. And then verse 5, I'm I'm not going to get to this one today, but blessed are the meek. Now, really important, this word blessed, it, makarios or makarios, it means more than happy. It's, It's not based on like you being, me being happy, okay? We get the word, the English word happy comes from the Latin word that's based happenings. What happens causes us to be happy. That's not this word. Do not confuse happiness with blessing. And also, don't tie up blessing to finances. Because it's, it's way more than wealth. It's way more than a feeling inside of you. It's, it's beyond happening, happenings. It's beyond happy. It's beyond finances. It's the blessing of God No matter what happens, no matter what you have, no matter who you're around, no matter what you wish you had that you don't, blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. All right, Uh, because disciples take notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, blessed are the spiritually poor. That's what this passage is saying. Blessed are the, the spiritually poor. Now, to make sense of this, you have to really dig into the why Jesus would say this. This is really important. Jesus preached a three-chapter sermon, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's all one sermon. And Jesus had to know that sociologists would discover within 2,000 years that the first 90 seconds of your message is the most important because you have 90 seconds with an audience to determine for them to decide whether they want to listen to you or not. 90 seconds. So knowing that he had 90 seconds to establish himself with those who had gathered to hear what he had to say, he led the first thing out of his mouth. Don't you think in a three-chapter sermon, the first thing that Jesus says is extremely significant? It is the foundation this B attitude, if you will, is the foundation for every other thing that he is going to say. For however long it took him to say it, and of all the things he could have told, uh, a Thibodeau and Boudreaux joke to like lighten the mood, you know they wouldn't have known he'd have had to tell like a. Caiaphas, John the Baptist joke, but it, it would have made, sense. He, he could have told a story as he had done before. He, he could have done anything he wanted to He could have said any, could have led with anything. And the first thing out of his mouth was, blessed are the poor. Hold on before you feel sorry for yourself in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, I believe that Jesus led with this because he understood that it was the foundation to fulfill all the others. Like, if you don't get this one, then you, don't, you won't even understand the rest, much less pursue them and live them out. Micah pointed out this past Wednesday that we are in a time in our society where, where we're having an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. And, it, and it's not just the world that can't determine where they want to, whether they want to be male or female. It's the church that don't understand their significance as children of God, their authority and their anointing as joint heirs with Jesus. We have an identity crisis. Listen, the Bible says, it, we like to quote this, I've heard this, you know, pride comes before the fall. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says a haughty spirit comes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction, destruction. Hey, listen, I love this nation. I love Louisiana, like I really do. I like Texas too, but I really like, love Louisiana. I don't like Arkansas and I'm not from there. (laughs) My daughters were born there, not me. I love this state. Guys, I have come. I love Acadiana. I love this city and the surrounding area. Like I drive around and just praise God for what he's doing and where we are and what's going on. I hate mosquitoes, but I love this area. I refuse in the name of Jesus for this place, this nation, this state, this community and or this church and my home to be destroyed because of pride. Now listen, let me say this. This is really important. In order for me to properly address this, in order for us to properly address this, we need to separate individuals from agenda. Separate the individual from the agenda. I attack agendas head on. I can't attack people head on. I rebuke the agenda head on. I don't rebuke the individual necessarily unless they asking for it. Like Bar Jesus just wants some sometimes, and Paul had to remind him who was in charge. I'm not talking about not operating in authority. I'm talking about being spiritually sensitive, considerate of others, but also not allowing ungodly agendas to not just manifest, but be accepted in and amongst God's people or even around. If you want to preach ungodly agendas, live in ungodly agendas, participate in ungodly agendas, then you do what you want to do. But you leave my children alone. June is not pride month in the name of Jesus because I love my nation and I love this state and I love people who are still discovering who God created them to be and I love people who are still overcoming ungodly desires like all of us are. I to fall with the prideful because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So this month of June is not pride month in the name. It's my birthday in the name of Jesus. It's Father's Day in the name of Jesus. It's Juneteenth in the name of Jesus. We are coming back together in a time where we celebrate all people of all colors and all creeds but we rebuke in the name of Jesus ungodly agendas that will lead us and everybody around us astray we have to separate the agenda from the individual but we have to speak to the agenda so I rebuke the pride in the name of Jesus off of my land off of my state out of my TV show I'm almost prayed in tongues in front of everybody away from my children Out of our schools and instead of complaining about it we need to be figuring out how we're gonna train the next generation to humble themselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that in due time they would be lifted up we need to stop complaining about the darkness and turn on a light walk into the room and make sure that everybody there knows that God's anointed has stepped into the place I done preached that way longer than I meant to. The Bible does not say blessed are the prideful. And by the way, you can be insensitively conservative and be prideful. Well, that didn't get as many amens. You can be too loosely liberal and be prideful. It is an interesting that after 9-11, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, and Socialists all gathered together, locked arms around our capital because we all had a common enemy. We still have a common enemy. His name is Lucifer and the powers and principalities of darkness. But until we come together in the name of Jesus, then the powers will prevail instead of the people of God putting them back in their place. I feel the preach coming on me in this service today. I'm fired up about what God wants for this generation. Blessed are not the prideful. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not in wealth, but in spirit. It doesn't mean that I don't operate in authority. It means that I humble myself. Before the ultimate authority. There's two Greek words in regards to poor within the New Testament specifically. The first one would would speak to like somebody who is impoverished. Or somebody who doesn't have enough finances or doesn't have enough money. And by the way, please note that American poverty and biblical poverty are not the same. We draw a poverty line at $20,000 a year, and we say, that's poverty. But that's not African poverty. That's not Asian poverty. That's not Indian poverty. That's not even Native American poverty. I can show you poverty. I can take you to places where people have one article of clothing to cover themselves in the area that they have to be covered in. I can show you poverty where people live in trash piles and call it a bed. We are not impoverished in America. This is still the land of opportunity. This is a word that represents true poverty. The word that we're discussing today, patukos, it means to be poor or destitute spiritually. It has nothing to do with wealth, finances, material, or possessions. In fact, it has to do with the exact opposite. Because you can have physical wealth and be spiritually dead. I said you can have physical wealth and be spiritually dead. Help me preach so I don't hang out here too long. This is not the woe is me. Okay, This is a a humbly devout person an outcast, and an absolutely impoverished. It's not, it's not like a, another opportunity to feel sorry for myself. It's not another opportunity for me to be offended and lock myself away in a room and get mad at everybody and blame everybody but take no responsibility on my own. That's not what I'm talking about. And I know that's not fun to hear, but maybe y'all are just hearing the coach inside of me. Like, I, I just, I'm just not good at the atta boys. I'm better at the congratulations. You did your job. Let's go do some more now. Because that's just what got the best out of me. So if that's not what gets the best out of you, then we'll pray with you. And we'll love on you. And come talk to Megan because she's better at it. It's not, a, it's not a hide from life. Come on, I... Please hear this, because I know I've been talking a lot and preaching hard, but I, I, I know way too many people that think they're headed to heaven. Way too many people that think they're headed to heaven, but they're not living for Jesus. They're waiting on Jesus, but they're not living for Jesus. They're praying to Jesus, but they're not living for Jesus. They're hoping Jesus does something, but they're not doing anything in his name. I know way too many people, hiding from life, and calling it holiness. Well, I can't get no help today. The Blue Letter Bible defines poor in spirit as destitute of wealth, learning, and or intellectual culture, knowledge. Like you didn't even have the opportunity to learn. You had no opportunity to become better in this society. Guys, no offense to any of y'all, but nobody in this room fits into that category. This word, it is literally translated as someone who crouches down or cowers. Let me give you a visual of this word. The visual of this word would be the tax collector that comes to the temple and crouches and cowers down before God Almighty, begging for forgiveness with repentance as the arrogant Pharisee stands over him and thanks God that he's not like the tax collector. Only one of those people is achieving the will of God in that moment. That's the description of this word. I want to show you a living example of what it means to be spiritually impoverished and someone who recognized her own spiritual not just physical but her own spiritual poverty it is this Maasai mama that pastor Aaron DiMaggio and pastor Edwin and another friend of mine that I didn't ask permission to share was able to go in we had to travel with about 40 minutes to an hour moving rocks and basically building bridges as we went in a four-wheel drive to get to the base of this hill. And we saw a trail and some smoke coming out of of a boma, which is a mud hut mixed with poop and grass that forms a home. And so we walked up towards the smoke and we found this mama and this baby actually living in poverty. Their water... Was what they could catch in a mud hole that ran down off the hill. And they would fetch it back up to the house, boil it with fire, and hope that it didn't kill them. They had only what you see them wearing. The closest doctor was a 30 mile walk, the closest school was nowhere in sight. There was an abandoned building on the hill across from where we're looking that had never had anybody in it. And we walk up that hill to this mama with this baby. And this is now Pastor Edwin, and I love this part of the story. See, because you give, I got to buy with your money that you had given. So technically, it was, it was God's because you gave it, and then it's not yours anymore, but... <laughs> Because you gave, I bought a fire Bible. We bought several of them, actually. And when we got over there, we presented from New Hope Church, we presented Pastor Edwin with a fire Bible. And, and guys, you've never seen it. Like, we hand out Bibles here, and people are like, "Mm, thanks. Like, we got their name put on it. Like, okay, I'll put this with my other 18 Bibles my grandparents gave me. Not Edwin. I handed him that fire Bible, and he goes, oh, Pastor. Pastor. This would change my life. Pastor, I can study now. I have my own Bible. I have never had my own Bible. And he opens the Bible and he's reading through the pages. And I'm like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because I wake up every day. I don't even know where the thing is. And I have his Bible. I have the Bible. Sometimes I'm just too lazy to study it. Edwin receives the word and he goes up on the mountain with us. He's, we're not, he's, we had to force him to take money for coming with us. And he translates word for word as we begin to explain to this mama that there's one God. And he created all things. There's not a tree God. You don't have to worship the trees. There's not a water God and a sun God and a star God and a God of the dirt and a God of the air. There's one God. And he created all things. And we, we began to explain the fall of man, but the purchase of man by the blood of Jesus and, and who God is and how much he loves her and, and why he sent us to her on that day. And we, it's a 30-minute conversation through translation. And we finally get to the... And she is ready to receive salvation. And so Pastor Edwin leads her in a prayer that I got to lead. It's the coolest. She'd never heard the name of Jesus but she recognized her spiritual poverty, and she received salvation right there in that moment. Now, I didn't just check that off the box and go home like, all right, who's next? Because we don't just lead people to salvation and then close the door and move on. No, 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 because you've given. We were able to spend about $40,000 on this couple on this baby right here because we help buy a side-by-side for this missionary that can take teams back to this place. And then we help pay off a van so that they can bring more teams and store more stuff and deliver more goods. And then a couple of years ago, we helped pay for a water well and invested in some of the refurbishing of that empty building that now if you look across that same mountain because of what you've done, you will see a school that operates daily and a church that operates weekly with a water well for the baby being held in this mama's arms who received salvation because she recognized her need for jesus and when you get to that place god changes your perspective of life but i don't know that americans come to that place easily Because we have so much. And if you just said, no, I don't, then you have missed the first point of Jesus' three chapters. Revelation chapter 3. I believe that Jesus is speaking to the American church. In verse 15. He says, I know your works. I know what you've given I know how many prayers you pray. I know what time you get up. I know what time you go to bed. I know how often you do or don't show up at church because you think that determines whether you go to heaven or hell. And I know that you're trying to earn your own salvation by making yourself feel better about the sin that you've been doing every other day and make up for it in one day. I know your works. But you're not hot and you're not cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. Now, please don't misinterpret this and think what I heard some really unadvised so-called theologians say one time. God would rather you be lost and cold if you're not going to be passionate and on fire. That's the stupidest thing. God, it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That is not what Jesus is saying. He cannot speak against his own character. If you think he is, then you need to study more scripture because what Jesus is saying in this passage is that I wish that you would be like Heropolis or I wish that you would be like Corinth or Colossae. But because you are Laodicean and the lukewarm water that could be hot or could be cold has traveled to you, but because you're lukewarm, you have no purpose. See, if you were cold, then you could quench thirst. And if you were hot, then you could warm something up. But because you have just decided to sprinkle in Jesus and allow him to be a part of your already busy agenda. Oh, I can't get no help from the Bible Belt today. Because you are just going through the motions and calling it a move. I would rather you be hot or I would rather you be cold. That you would quench something or you would warm something. But because you're just going through the motions. Because you're just including Jesus in your agenda. Because you are lukewarm, you're not hot or cold, I I spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, for you say I am rich. And if you rode here or drove here, if you have electricity and or running water, if you slept in a bed last night, you are more rich than 98% of the world. That's the reality. This is not a woe is me, victim mentality, feel sorry for myself because I don't have as much as the family across town. This is a spiritual issue. You are rich. And you say, I have stored up for myself a great retirement. We work so that we can retire instead of working for Jesus. You say, I have prospered. I don't need anything. Not realizing, okay, no, this is really important because I did not write this, okay? I, I didn't write the book of Revelation. I'm just reading it to you. This is, this is Jesus saying this, not Chris. I'm just reading what Jesus said. So if you're going to get offended, you are wretched. I didn't even know how to pronounce this next word. I had to go look it up. Pitiable. I wanted to say like pishable. <laughs> you are You are pitiable. You are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor. Spiritually, you're blind. And just like Adam and the woman when they sinned, you're naked. And for those who just go through the motions, even though they had all the opportunity in the world, can you imagine the judgment that we will receive For what we did not do on behalf of the kingdom of God versus everything that he gave us. We're in the 98th percentile of the richest people in the world. And to whom much is given. I said to whom much is given. Much is required. I think that Jesus knew that the Bible belt of the United States of America would read this scripture. See, we don't recognize our own spiritual poverty because we have so much. Guys, we have so much. I think we got a glimpse in 2020. We got a glimpse. And we lose our minds if we lose Wi-Fi. Come on, I can't get no help today. If another nation turns off the power grid... And we can't have electricity. We think that God has forsaken us if we lose electricity. Come on, don't act like you are so super spiritual that after about three or four days of running life on a generator and paying to have to fill it up with gasoline, you didn't go, God, how much longer is this going to go? The Masai Mama has never had electricity. We don't recognize our own spiritual poverty because we have so much. We lose our mind if our food is late. We will lay down our Christianity if it's not warmed up properly. I said medium rare, not medium well. Take this back. Somebody's going to pay for this. Somebody did pay for it. His name was Jesus. And instead of using that as an opportunity to minister to that person, you have no idea. We will lay down the fact that we have received salvation because our food is cold. Not because we don't have food, but because it's not there on time and it's not cooked the way that we wanted it. Come on, Americans. We don't recognize our own spiritual poverty because we have so much. To be poor in spirit means that we recognize our brokenness before God Almighty. Those who realize they have... Who are the poor in spirit? It is those who realize they have no chance without Jesus. I know point number one was really long. Verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5. This is why I normally just read from the New Living Translation because I wouldn't have had to explain all of that if I would have just read from this translation. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who realize they are poor spiritually and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Number two, if you're taking notes, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I think that season two of The Chosen did a great job illustrating the compassion that comes from Christ in this passage. We want to show you this and I'll come back and close.
1: they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be
0: called I'm sure they're working hard to figure out what happened to the volume, but you could sense where it was going, and you can also look that up on YouTube for free, because most of you have access to the internet, unlike most of the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I've never preached on this person, and uh, I'm probably amiss because I haven't. But when I read this scripture, I cannot help but think of my granddaddy. People ask me, I, I don't know why but this is already being brought up. I guess because I have more grades than I did when I got here. I'm like, what do you want to be called, When you when you become a granddad? And I'm like, I want to be called Fry Daddy, because that's just cool you know but i also i also i i just want part of my granddaddy's heritage in me my granddaddy tommy fry and i didn't ask his permission and he doesn't watch this anyway so (laughs) he doesn't know how to work the internet and stuff or the facebook um my granddaddy he's one of my heroes he just loves god hard working he's probably never lifted his hands in church but worships serves gives he's in his early 80s now he's born in the late 30s he's old he uh in his early 70s he had both of his sons his wife grandchildren going into the ministry he had just retired a few years earlier. It looked like he had everything that anybody could ever want. In 2009, many of you have heard this before. I'll spare you the details, but my dad passed away. My dad was his youngest son. This is my granddaddy. Three years later, my dad passed away from a massive heart attack at 46. Three years later, my nana passed away from complications with COPD. Never smoked a day in her life, never. She was just around people that did. You know, in the 50s and 60s, you just smoked. And you smoke around people, you smoke inside, you smoke outside, doesn't matter, you just smoke. And She contracted COPD because of secondhand smoke. Complications with COPD, it just attacked her. Everything was fine and then it wasn't and she passed away. Three years after my dad passed away. So within three years, she buried a son he buried a son and a bride. And he called me about a year and a half ago, and he said, hey, son. That's what he called. Sometimes he calls me squirrel. I don't know why he calls me squirrel. <laughs> okay, granddaddy. I was like, hey, man, what's up? He goes, oh, I just want to call you and tell you they found your Uncle David dead. And I was like, that's his oldest son. He was in his 60s, an alcoholic his entire life. He said he didn't want to be, just didn't do the work to not be. He had seasons of success. Or so. From his early 70s, everything. Worked his whole life to retire and then enjoy it, right? Youngest son pass away, wife pass away, oldest son pass away. Early 80s, alone. Lives in the house that my daddy grew up in in Minden, Louisiana, surrounded by much larger homes and all kinds of stuff because every time I talk to my granddaddy all he wants to talk about is what God's up to and how this nation needs another move of God and how he's so proud of us And when i think of people that are comforted in mourning i can't help but think of tommy fry who has nobody but jesus and yet he chooses joy his life will never be the same but he is living for god and it's his only purpose it's why he wakes up every morning and gets out of So I think how how can we go from mourning to comfort? And the first thing I thought was we got to be willing. I don't just mean you got to want it. I, that's not what I'm talking about cuz that would maybe, that would be me being insensitive to your grief. See grief is what you have or what you feel, but mourning is what you do with it. Mourning is how you express it. And God doesn't say that you're not gonna have grief and that 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 life isn't gonna be overwhelming at times and that that things aren't gonna happen that are gonna take that are gonna knock your feet out from underneath you. He just promises to be the foundation that you can stand upon again. So how do I move from, from mourning to comfort? I think sometimes it's more than just a moment. It's more than just a sermon, it's a it's a lifelong process. Where you fight in the name of Jesus. You let God work on it. And you work on it with God. And you allow God to show you from an eternal perspective what is truly important as long as you're here. I wanna highly recommend that you go and listen to Toby Mack, the gospel and RB artist, and his interview on the passing of his son, Truett, who was. Older in age, and yet he was still just as devastated. But I remember him saying, I had to learn how to smile again. I had to learn how to laugh again. I may never laugh and smile the way that I once did. And it only comes in waves. And I began to think, it's what grief does. Grief grief comes like a tsunami, and it only subsides like in tides. But if comfort and peace come in waves, come on, hear me. The fact that it comes at all is evidence that God's presence is still there. Even while we're still here. It's the wave of God's glory. It's the wave of God's grace. It's the wave of God's goodness. It's the wave of the comfort of the Holy Spirit that makes it worth continuing to work and move forward in the name of Jesus. Blessed are the spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How? When? Revelation chapter 21, (laughs) I heard a loud shout from the throne, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. And there will be no more pain. All of these things shall be gone forever. And death shall be swallowed up in victory, says the Apostle Paul. Verse 5. And the one sitting on the throne. He didn't say he will be sitting on the throne the one that is sitting on the throne said this two thousand years ago as we stand in between the time that it was declared and the time that it is eternally done the one who sits on the throne says look I am making a new covenant write this down (laughs) I'm making a new covenant, everything new. And he said, you need to write this down. Because if you don't write it down, you're going to forget it. But if you write it down, not only will you remember it, but somebody else will read it. And even if it doesn't affect you the way that you want it to, it'll affect that baby the way that we want it to. Even if it doesn't affect you and your feelings, it will affect the next generation and possibly even who they follow. So Jesus said, write this down. For what I tell you, it's trustworthy. It's true. So the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. For those who are in Christ. Oh, you thought we were waiting for this passage to come to pass? No, no, no. We're working with the fulfillment of the fact that this passage is coming to pass. That's different. Because Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said, those who are in Christ... Are a new creation. Old things, old pers- the way that you used to look at life through earthly eyes, that's passed away. I give you eternal eyes, and behold, all things become new. Blessed. Come on, more than happy. Blessed are those who realize that they are destitute, those who are desperate for Jesus. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted.